Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Hello friends, welcome to another episode of the third Men Cricket Podcast. This is episode number 39 and you have the usual suspects from the third Men Cricket Podcast. Uh, my friend Ravi Teja from uh, Calgary uh, in Alberta, Canada and myself Pavdi from uh, Vancouver here in Canada. Um, and I know we do regular episodes based on what's happening in the world of cricket uh, and give you updates and give our views uh, and opinions about um the different stuff that is going on uh, in the world of cricket. Uh, but today, episode number 39 is going to be a path-breaking episode for our podcast, uh, to say the least. Uh, we have got a special guest in here uh, to discuss on a wide variety of issues um, uh, that face our uh, beautiful game. Um, and this man needs no introduction. He is none other than Jared Kimber. Welcome, Jared. And we are absolutely privileged to have you here uh, in the third man cricket podcast uh, in this special episode. And just to give you no a, worries. Thanks for having me. <laughs> our pleasure. Um, and for the folks out there, um, just to give a brief introduction about Jared, uh, he's an established uh, journalist, podcaster, YouTuber, you name it what, he's seen it all in the game of uh, cricket. Um, he's written five books uh, on the game uh, and also directed a, a a gut-wrenching and a hair-raising documentary called The Death of Gentlemen. For the folks out there who have not gone and watched out watched that documentary so far, please put it on your to-do list and you should go out and watch that documentary, which he has made along with one of his colleagues, Sam Collins. Um, my colleague Ravita is also on the podcast, like I mentioned. And when we were discussing on uh, how we are going to go through this episode, uh, you know, uh, we were of the opinion that Many things are going on in the world of cricket as of now. Um, India taking on Australia in the Border Gavaskar Trophy, followed by England versus New Zealand uh, happening in New Zealand as well, where England are again testing waters as to how far their basketball can go. And, have, and we have got the Women's World Cup game also going on. Um, but we thought that what would be uh, prudent for us to discuss as part of this episode would be um, <clears throat> to discuss the general overall health of the game, um, especially with respect to the red ball game that we truly love uh, and also to let you know jared both me and ravi are the romantics of the game and absolutely love uh test cricket which is the pinnacle of our game so we thought why not use this platform to uh discuss and gain your vital inputs uh with respect to uh, 
the game that is played in the uh, in the spirit's form and see where we are heading in that direction. So we'll take it as 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 it goes in this episode, uh, and we wanted to start off, you know, uh, in this in in basic discussing about the what do you feel about the future and uh, health of Test cricket as we as we go forward in the space, uh, you know, and we wanted to apply a, a, a lens towards how the domestic uh, cricketing structures are panning out in different parts of the world. Uh, we know that uh, quality Test cricket is at a premium nowadays. We don't get to see uh, those hard-fought contests on a regular basis uh, in the test match cricketing space. Um, more so, the game is very much uh, you know, um, prevalent in these big three countries, India, Australia, and uh, England, who are playing this test series. And the rest of the sides, which used to remain competitive over a period of time, have uh, you know, evaded slowly uh, and do not get many matches in their kitty. And the domestic structure in these countries is the one which is a feeder system and the breeding ground for many a test cricketer. Uh, so we just wanted to discuss, uh, you know, and uh, have your views on how the domestic structures have changed over a period of time and what is the kind of impact that this will have going forward um, with regards to health of test cricket. Uh, and we thought, why not start off closer to home for you in Australia, uh, which has had a robust uh, domestic structure in place over a period of time. Uh, and there was a time in the 90s and early 2000s where Australia could field two sides in the, in the international space and they would be you know, ready to compete at the highest level. Um, and we have seen that the T20 leagues that are organized around the world are now the cash cows for all the respective international boards. So they are trying to work their red ball domestic game around the T20 uh, tournaments that they uh, you know are the money money spending tournaments for themselves like australia have their domestic season spread apart with the bbl sandwiched in between uh, and we are not seeing that consistent assembly line of cricketers coming down the line and representing australia as well who are international cricket ready and ready to deliver you know uh, that used to be the forte of the australian domestic structure wherein people are not coming and establishing themselves when, once they wear the baggy green but they are coming and performing right away from the outset because they have already been battle-hardened in that Sheffield Shield arena. Um, so please take it away and you know give us your uh, vital thoughts on um, where do you see that the domestic scene is in Australia now and what do you see, if anything, that can be improved or um, if if you know our, our requests or our thoughts are just going to fall on deaf ears of the administrators who are just going to be interested in. Um, the commercial aspect of the game. Well, the, the administrators have only ever been um, interested in the commercial aspect of the game. I think it's, uh, I think people just don't know that. Um, there was a, there was a um, strike uh, that the Australian cricketers did in 1910 or 1911. Um, and it's never talked about. Right? <laughs> the Australian cricketers were like, well, wait a minute. Why are we not getting more money? We're the ones that, that should be getting paid here. Um, so, you know, um, WG Grace, one of the things he's known for is the fact that they used to charge extra for the games he played, right? That's because he was taking some of that off the top, despite the fact he was an amateur, of course. Um, so, you know, no one, no one I, think, I think there's always been this idea that there was this glorious time. There wasn't a glorious time. There was just earlier. 
right? That, that's all there's ever been in cricket, just earlier, which is fine. That's the same as all of a society, really. Um, for, for Australia um, directly, you've got, I mean, you talk about you, you talk about Australia not having players as good as they used to, but I don't think that has anything to do with the other um, thing that you're talking about, right? Like Australia, before T20 came along, Australia wasn't producing um, good enough teams that they could play t- um, two sides with, right? You, you wouldn't expect any team in the world to be consistently um, as good as Australia were because we've only had a couple of times in history where Australia was ever that good. So I think I think a lot of things get conflated by cricket fans um, and sometimes cricket media that don't necessarily mean the same thing. Australia was absolutely dominant in world cricket in the 90s and 2000s because of a bunch of different things that happened to happen to them at the same time. A, they have the perfect climate for sport. They never have to worry about wars. Um, even the people who try and attack them probably don't get down that, that far. Um, uh, you know, they don't have civil wars. Um, the indigenous population was too small to ever fight back in a way that that caused any massive, um, you know, daily trouble for anyone. Um, uh, the, the climate is absolutely perfect. There's space, right? Um, and also Australia through into the 90s was becoming a very rich country, a very middle class country. You know, there was a lot of money there. Um, and what you had was the co- combination of Australia was not particularly good as a sporting nation in the 60s, 70s, and 80s uh, anywhere, right? They weren't really dominating outside of tennis. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I'm missing, um, and, and a little bit of cricket. They weren't the sporting nation that they became in the 90s and, and you know, and 2000s, whether it be Olympics, you know, sports like basketball, um, all these different sports. Suddenly they had an explosion of golfers and all these things. And that goes back to what we were talking about before, right? You know, you, you're talking about how good um, Australia cricket was, kind of forgetting that in the 2000 Olympics they won a lot of golds, right? And they won a lot of golds in 96 as well, and they continued to win golds into the 2000s. That was a sweet spot. And what it really was was the combination of all those things I was talking about before, but also um, professionalism. Australia became professionals in sport in a way that maybe East Germany had once upon a time, uh, the way that you, the US college system um, certainly allowed for in American sports. Um, maybe China was another one that was sort of doing that on a similar level. But the rest of the world wasn't professional. And so Australia's success is born out of this professionalism. Um, you know, Australian rules football and probably rugby league have a big part to play in, in everything as well. But as I said, it was radical support. So I don't think even they maybe helped um, streamline the professionalism of Australian cricket. But, you know, uh, the fact that Australia cricket had an academy, right, and was actually developing people, that comes from the Olympic side of things, right? And that academy was... You know, if you if you watch any modern sports now, you will see in, inventions um, in sports science that came from the Australian Sports Academy. So not only were they better at sport, they were better at thinking about sport. And you know, go back and have a look at some of the the cyclists and what they were wearing, um, and, and the swimming suits of the swimmers. That all comes from the Australian government investing in sports as a profession. Right now, everyone has all those weird, wacky helmets in cycling and the stupid bikes and, you know, the wet, different whatever kind of wetsuit that helps you flip better 
what they are doing at cricket, it's really to do with the fact that they stopped innovating um, and, and other countries caught up and, and, you know, everyone has an academy now. You know, <laughs> it doesn't matter how poor a, uh, a cricket nation you are, you probably have something that you call an academy. There are a bunch of academies in the US. There's probably a couple in Canada. I don't know about Vancouver, uh, but there's probably there's surely one, in, you know, a couple in Toronto, right? So uh, that's how much things have changed. As we can't conflate uh, the two the two situations where we go, well, Australia isn't as good as they used to, and so that must mean that the system um, has changed when they changed the entire way that cricket was, right? So Australia. Uh, dragged cricket to professionalism, even against Australia's own wishes. Cricket Australia probably would have preferred it to stay um, amateur. They weren't happy that they had to pay their players more. That you know, the the, the whole Packer revolution, um, you know, was was all part of that. So uh, you you asked an incredibly long question at the start, and I've now answered one part of it incredibly long. Uh, but here we are. If you want to know why Australian cricket has changed, you need to know all these little things on the way up. It really isn't one particular thing. Um, but the chances of Australia ever being that dominant as they were in that period over over a 30 or 40 or 50 year period, I think, it should never happen because once you get that successful, other teams should look at that and then try and do their own thing. And if you look at what England is doing now, a little bit India, but certainly what England is doing now, England has spent the last 20 to 25 years professionalizing to a point where they're probably the most professional cricket nation we've ever had now. They're, they're backroom staff and everything else. So everything that Australia did very, very well, um, England have now taken it to another level. And that's why England have had that sort of success. You know, you know success, in, success in sport over a prolonged period of time is not accidental and it's societal um, and it comes uh, to do with innovation um, it comes to do with resources, both of people and of finances. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and usually, you know, passion is the other big part of it. You know, where is cricket in, in that society at that time? You know, uh, are there enough people playing it? Are there enough people who care about it and all those sorts of different things? And that's going to, in, in any cricket nation, is going to waver. There are going to be times when it's the absolute most important thing in the world. There will be times when it isn't. You know, early 2000s West Indies, you'd have to question how important cricket was. Then they got a bunch of millionaires um, coming through the T20 um, scene and you suddenly all the nonsense you ever heard about, oh, West Indians are all off playing basketball. Well, there ain't none of them in the NBA, but there's a lot of them getting rich in T20 cricket. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that is uh, my answer to the question you asked, I think. Thanks. Thanks a lot for that, uh, for those inputs, uh, Jared. Um, and we could relate it in some way to closer home back in India as well, you know, Earlier, we had 27 teams in the Ranji Trophy, and now it's increased to 38 teams uh, uh, as we speak. Um, and one one thing that India will never fall short of is, you know, the, the kind of human resources that they have at their disposal and the number of people playing cricket. So it's the question of selecting the right talent, which is which is uh, going to be the key when it comes to the Indian um, landscape of things. You know, uh, getting the right personnel in there. Uh, I, see, I don't think it is. I don't think. I think India can make more mistakes in selecting talent than anyone ever has. I just don't think it matters if they 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 select the right talent because um, they could make twenty five mistakes to every one mistake that Australia can make because there are so many people of of such a high level who are playing cricket over there. So I, I don't think that's the issue with um, India. I think the issue with India is making sure that um, you are actually developing cricketers from every part of the country, right? If, if India has the ability to make sure that every single part of the country, if you pick up a bat, 
or a ball and you show abnormally good um, levels of talent that you have a pathway to first class of professional cricket or, or, or franchise cricket or whatever whatever the future may be of cricket, um, you know, and there's a proper scouting um, system and there are coaches uh, and facilities available for you to get better, then they should always be the best, um, you know, one of the best teams in the world. Not not always the best, but one of the best teams in the world um, because it's they're playing on, on, a, on a field that no one else has ever played on before. Um, and so you could realistically, even if they're uh, – even if we look at cricket now, you would still say the majority of Indian cricketers seem to still come from that sort of middle class band, right? Of which is what ten percent of India, <laughs> you know. So if you were really being honest, uh, you know, the majority of Indian cricketers should be coming from a, you know uh, a far more working class or even poorer background, right? And it doesn't matter. Yeah, they're still number one as we sit here in every international format. You know, they, they could they could make a series of mistakes um, and, and not be a problem. The, the interesting there is thing for India is how long the it matters that much to be a cricketer, and what happens when cricket is no longer the biggest thing in India. Um, does it does it continue to produce cricketers at the same level? Um, and, and by that stage, I would have thought that it is such a uh, you know, a professional um, option for so many kids out there that they're going to keep trying to get into it uh, because there's so much money within the sport by that point anyway that you don't have to worry. Um, the BCCI probably have and will continue to make more mistakes than anyone else just because their actual playing field is so random and bizarre um, and it will probably matter a lot less. If you're in New Zealand cricket, you probably can't make very many mistakes if you want to be a successful team. Certainly, just to add a point, like uh, uh, what I thought is, like you rightly told, right? Uh, given the population and the amount of resources, I mean, it's, it's very much possible that you know you can actually kind of mess up. But you know, um, uh, the standard of Indian cricket will probably remain at a certain level. There'll be not a, a West Indian kind of a fall, mm. but you know, uh, there are a lot many issues that need to be fixed at a domestic level. Like you can always debate upon. But you know, my my query is more in terms of you. We've kind of observed England cricket, um, Australian cricket, say South African cricket, or great extent to, and also Indian cricket. So, what exactly needs to be fixed uh, in terms of domestic structures? Uh, that I don't know, probably not not like dwelling very deep, but more in terms of you know that quick fixes that would really kind of enhance the uh, not the quality of the game, but more in terms of uh, you know uh, the exposure or you know uh, the the very evident mistakes that can be actually fixed. Look, I, th I think every every country has sort of sprung out of this weird colonial um, uh, system of cricket, right? So cricket is more colonial than everyone, anywhere else, you know. Uh, and because, you know, it was called the Imperial Cricket Conference, uh, in whatever it was when it, when it first started, right? So, you know, the imperial nature of it is, is all part of it. Um, you know, South Africa is over. The, the reason that South Africa is having racial issues in cricket is because cricket was essentially a school sport for elite school, um, students. And of course, traditionally, uh, that meant uh, white English uh, background players, not even white African background players. Uh, there's nothing South African cricket can do to actually change uh, who is good at cricket in their country on that level. They can do little things, very, very little things. They could open up their own um, cricket school. 
and make sure that all the kids who don't get in, in uh, you know, into the main schools um, are coached in the same way that their school system does it. But realistically, that's a societal issue. Um, and it's really, really tough to overcome that with the amount of money that Cricket South Africa make, right? England has a very similar system. Uh, you know, England, uh, the vast majority of cricketers uh, in England still come from privately educated backgrounds. Um, that is, it's always been inherently part of the English system. Um, and again, you know, cricket in other parts of, of, of England sometimes doesn't exist. Uh, and they really have problems with that. Uh, they've really been backed up by first, the you know, West Indian um, and now, you know, um, uh, first, second, third um, uh, generations of Asian um, immigration uh, to the country. But they've got to work out how to unlock that side of it as well. How does how do how did they allow from the early 1980s to now for cricket to have disappeared in the vast majority of of the country? How is it no longer seen as a major sport? And the way they talk about it and the way they think about it, um, it's very hard to, to get people to get excited about cricket in England because people in England see cricket as a sport of the uh, elite or at the, at the very least the middle class, um, you know, or upper middle class uh, people, which means that like there's almost a cultural barrier in, in changing the sport, right, at that point. You know, uh, with, with Indian cricket, it really is, again, a similar but different kind of um, situation where – um, they, you know, cricket has been more a, I mean, <laughs> I mean, is India the only test nation where you could actively buy the captain's role? I'm trying to think. I think that's right. Um, so you can't say that, you know, money and class hasn't played a, a part there. And the thing with India is India has basically picked cricketers from a couple of key hubs and they've decided that other parts of the country don't know anything about cricket and don't like anything about cricket. And I think for India, the future is really ensuring that cricketers just come from everywhere, right? That, as I said, if, if you've got some guy who can, you know, pick up the ball and bowl 90 miles an hour and he's from a non-traditional, you know, somewhere in the, what, northeast? Um, I mean, that doesn't exist in cricket, in Indian cricket, right? Like, it was there been like three first-class cricketers from the northeast, I think, in the history of Indian cricket? Like, it's ridiculous. I don't think most people even know that sort of thing and then you've got the fact that you know there are certain casts that seem to just keep appearing in in indian cricket over and over again um well are they is it a magic cast where they're you know better at cricket or did they just have better facilities and better money at one stage um you know how you use that ipl money to ensure that any kid in india who has cricket talent can come through the system is massively important the other thing for indian cricket is where is all the money going Right. There's no, we don't know, is that money being used correctly? Seems to me the only thing that we see a lot of now is new cricket stadiums. How many different new stadiums need to host a test match? Um, surely that money can go to other things. Uh, and then Australia is is probably in a slightly different situation uh, than the other three that we've, uh, that we've mentioned so far. And that cricket has traditionally actually been... Uh, a sport played by kind of everyone and it, it is a sport that manages and Australia is almost unique in cricket in that it's maybe the one place where cricketers did come from uh, different backgrounds but the future of Australia does seem to be through sort of elite school uh, where you have to pay um, a lot of money and so uh, Australia has become a sport more of of um, people from a certain background and that's not just um, that's not just a, a problem of cricket that's a problem of Australian sport where you uh, you're almost having now these um, mini academies that that are going following that South African model, um, where 
you know, if you're young, you are sort of plucked out of your, your local area to go play, you know, someone like Shane Warne was uh, obviously, you know, I think you can tell by the way he talked, not one of the upper class people, but went to one of the more prestigious schools um, on a footy and cricket scholarship when he was young. That is now seems to be a big issue, which again means that the old egalitarian model of Australian cricket, where if you played good in club cricket and you worked your way up, um, that's all well and good now. But if I play myself, if I play club cricket really, really well, and I'm playing against a bunch of kids who um, have access to bowling machines and biomechanists and dietitians um, from from that. So that you know, as cricket uh, becomes professional, uh, you know, different things uh, attack it and, and change. And what you what you don't ever want to be in a situ- situation is you never really want to be. I suppose South Africa is the best. Uh, point of this don't ever want to be in a situation where you're only picking your best players from a, a, a talent pool of five percent of the people right and so I, i've just said a couple of problems that that are for four different teams but it's all the same problem right which is too few people actually get an opportunity at being top level professionals and if you're talking about you know being successful really what you want to be able to do is open it up so at any stage um Cricketers from anywhere can be successful. That's the same problem for every single cricket nation in the world. How do we ensure? You know, look at Papua New Guinea. They make a World Cup and we're all really excited and they've got a lot of, you know, players that are really, really talented. They're picking all their cricketers from essentially one village. Right? That's not sustainable. You're going to have a golden generation and you're going to have, uh, you know, a, a, a little a zap that, that works for you. But essentially, you know, there has to be a certain time when, the, you know, your cricketers are spread out over the whole country. Um, and if you're not in that situation, you're not going to be a good team for a long period of time. And it doesn't matter if you're a, it doesn't matter if you're Canada or the USA or Papua New Guinea or India, the same things uh, matter. And it is how you open that sport up and how you uh, allow it to be a sport for all. Um, that is the thing that matters the most. And I think that's the thing probably missing. Thanks. Thanks for your input on that. Yep. Oh. Go ahead, Ravi. Very true. Very true, Charles. So, uh, I mean, this this pretty much takes us to the next part. You know, next probably part of our the entire big question. Uh, you know, T Twenty leagues galore around the globe, and you know, what exactly are we talking about in terms of changing landscape of cricket? Right. I mean, just to give a backdrop, of course, it needs not it need not be even told, right? You know. Folks are really getting restless. My my eighteen year old cousins, you know, they look at the game very differently. You know, uh, I, I like the fact that money's flowing and you know leagues are investing big numbers. But um, you know, there's still that there's that big question that needs to be asked in terms of you know what exactly is you know uh, where is it exactly helping the game of cricket, right? So uh, you know, shorter boundaries, flatter wickets, uh, bowlers are machines who just deliver and you know. Uh, and not going for a boundary is a big success, you know. Uh, so, uh, and don't even get me started on the bunch of leagues happening in Dubai. You know, at at, at a point probably I just lost track. You know, um, it's twenty overs, and now we're talking about 10, 10 overs, and then of course we have the hundred going. Um, there's so many nuances and uh, nuances and nitty gritties in cricket that you can you can pretty much add those elements and create a new format, and then that adds a a, a completely a a new flavor of cricket and probably well, that here's my Ghana. question to you when do you think cricket was structured correctly fair point i think it's been evolving always is it yeah because i'm when you say all this sort of stuff you're sitting in canada right canada's been probably in the top 15 to 20 cricket sides throughout the history of the game right and yet oh 
almost no one ever from Canada has made it uh, any money off it, right? So when you say, oh, you know, back in those days, it, it, was, it was much better. Well, it wasn't if you're in Canada. It wasn't if you're a woman, right? It wasn't if you were disabled, right? Um, and, and so when, when people say stuff like that, I'm like, okay, it's changed. But realistically, unless you happen to be lucky enough to be born in one of seven, eight, nine, ten nations, you you couldn't even play cricket at the top level. And then you, then you had to be born in one of those nations with a penis, right? So you're we're already minimizing the amount of people who could be successful at it, right? Um, and, and then you needed to be able-bodied, you know, again, minimizing the amount of people. Uh, and then, as we've just discussed, depending on which cricket nation you're from, probably had to be born in the right city or to the right kind of parents, right? We're in a situation now where it's way more dynamic. You could be a brilliant cricketer, uh, a female cricketer in Canada, and there is a chance that you can become a professional. So I understand what you're saying uh, about everything else, but cricket has always evolved, right? And it has always changed. And you could argue that in, I don't know, uh, the 1930s, we, you could have sat there in the 1930s and said, um, oh, you know, look at cricket. Oh, all the Bradman's making all these runs and Molly Hammond's making all these runs and George Headley's making all these runs. Uh, the bowlers are basically just machines anymore. But you would have been saying it about like four nations. Right? America, they can't play cricket because they're not part of the Commonwealth. Ireland, sorry, you're kind of almost part of the Commonwealth, but we can't quite work it out. So you're not going to play cricket anymore either. Canada, well, you're actually not that far from being a test playing nation, but we're not going to invite you over um, just at the moment. West Indies, uh, we're just going to uh, invent this different thing and you're just going to have to work it out on your own. And sorry for the short, short, for this period of time, we're just going to have to have white captains because we don't trust black people to be in charge of anything, right? Like this is what our sport has always been. And, and um, you don't like T20 cricket? That's fine. Uh, do you like one-day cricket? Can I ask you that? One of my favorites. All right. So my question to be, would to be to you: When you grew up, you would have had an uncle, a neighbour, uh, uh, some woman down the street who exactly. would have said, "I can't believe you like one day cricket. That's not real cricket." So you're saying the exact same thing that the old people said to you, and so you can imagine there's a bunch of young people now, you know, looking at that, going, "What?" And I grew up, um, you know, my first love was really club cricket and playing the game myself, and then the Australian team was kind of on the side. But then it was really when Victoria um, started playing, you know, white ball cricket and it was on the TV more and it was a bit more exciting. You know, I got in through that. Um, it, it doesn't really, that is what cricket has always done. It has evolved and changed. There are more options now. There are more formats of the game. Um, if you are, you, you know, depending on where you are in the world, you, your main love might be indoor cricket and playing indoor cricket, right? It just doesn't need to be anything else. And we have more options and we have more people. Uh, you know, you look at the fair break tournament and you're like, wow, you know, isn't this exciting? The way that we followed the game doesn't exist. But here's the thing, the way that our parents followed the game doesn't exist. The way that, uh, if, talk to a Sri Lankan um, grandparent about what it was like when Sri Lanka wasn't allowed to be in test cricket because why? I don't even know why. They probably good enough to be in playing test cricket from around 1930 onwards. Right. Um, but they weren't, we did, they weren't invited to the club. Right. And so it never happened. Ireland again, key wins over the years. Um, what about people who've been involved with Argentinian cricket, you know, for the last 70 years, they were better than New Zealand probably. Right. They weren't invited into the club. 
Um, so I can't look back on these other these other times and say anything. It's exactly what you were saying could be the exact same if we're talking about music or movies, right? Oh, wasn't it so much better when I was between the age of 12 and 24? Everything was better but when we were the age of, of 12 and 24. That's why conservative politics exist, right? Because people are looking back and hoping to get that same feeling they had when they were a kid. That's not how the world works, and it's never been how cricket works. Cricket has developed and pushed and moved and twisted and, uh, you know, done, uh, been an incredible trendsetter and then become incredibly conservative um, and then been the last sport where the most important thing was, was national um, competition, right? All these different things. It has fought back against things. It has been, uh, you know, uh, ahead of the curve. It's been terrible when it comes to women, but it had a professional women's league in the 1800s in England. You know, all these random different things that has happened in our sport. Um, it is always developing, but, it, you know, the, my dad all the way through the 90s was moaning about Kerry Packer and white ball cricket. And uh, you have just managed to challenge probably a channel. My dad, probably, you know, your dad, maybe your auntie um, and a few others. Uh, it is supposed to change and it always has changed and it should change with the societies as well, right? Um I mean, we are sitting here doing a podcast where you are in Canada and still have the opportunity to go watch an international team. They have a men's and a women's team. Chances are, uh, from everything I can tell, uh, the women's team might end up being better than the men's team, right? Uh, and they might go on to have more success. What an incredible moment that could be. Um, you know. And, and remember, Canada in the 1960s, not that far away from being a test nation, right? But they weren't allowed to be a test nation. And because of that, cricket in Canada had stalled, right? And and they had a point of time where it was hard for Canada to get any better at cricket because their closest name, neighbor was the USA and the USA was weak and Canada was stronger, right? Now, maybe things are going to change for Canada. They finally, the USA is getting their act together. Um, you know, Canada had the ability to bring Kyron Pollard and Steve Smith to their country for a tournament uh, to play under, you know, a weird league, albeit, but a league that existed. Um, so... I think we have to be really, really understanding of what cricket is. Um, and cricket is something that develops with the societies that play it. We minimize those societies on purpose. I mean, it, the, the ICC's original system was a racist system invented essentially by some South Africans who wanted more political clout um, and then was kept that way because uh, English gentlemen liked the way that private members clubs worked, right? We're finally starting to break some of that down and um and we're sitting here complaining because the version of cricket that we're playing is slightly shorter than the one that we like like it's a weird place to be in and we i think we need to really understand uh at all times that there has probably never been more interest in the game of cricket than there is now um and if that is the case then cricket's in a wonderful position but it's also in a, in a position where it's maybe the most volatile future you know it you know, you hear Kevin Peterson say, you know, test cricket will be dead in five years. Well, he probably said that five years ago, to be fair, and it's not dead yet. But there are things that are going to change and there are things that might die. And, you know, uh, we, we, when, when, when T20 cricket came in, we called it the um, World T20, right? It's now called the World Cup. How long before it is the World Cup and the one day World Cup doesn't exist? That's a possibility. You know, <laughs> Uh, one day, and, and it was one day cricket that really helped be, um, India become India and Pakistan become Pakistan, right? And Sri Lanka become a Sri, Sri Lanka. Uh, 
But things have changed. And it's, you know, the reason that, uh, you know, um, that women's cricket in Thailand uh, has the ability to grow the way that it does is probably more to do with uh, T20 cricket than it is test cricket. Test, test cricket never helped the Thai women get any better at the sport, did it? And, and with respect to the changing landscape of our game, like you mentioned, it's going to keep on evolving and it's not the mistake of the Gen Z or the millennial population that they're <clears throat> being bred more on T20 cricket. Uh, do you feel or do you fear, I should say, going forward that there is a possibility that cricket might go the, the football or the soccer way wherein most of the calendar in the year is spaced out to accommodate the various T20 leagues going forward, T10 leagues, whatnot, and you'll see international cricket being played sporadically um, and most of the new players coming through the system uh, you know, having those ambitions or desires to participate in these different leagues going forward rather than representing their country. So do you do you envisage such kind of a situation where slowly all these T20 leagues will take over and we'll see less and less of uh, international cricket going forward? We will uh, because cricket boards can make more money and more people can play the game if, if you have a league situation. Uh, you know, in, in Australia, the most important cricket is still test cricket, right? Financially. Uh, and so test cricket is quite an important thing every year um, to be to be played. But the Australian, how many tests can you play a year and when can you play them? And who are you going to play them against? Uh, whereas you can play, well, one big bash game a night and eventually it'd be two or three or four big bash games a night, right? And the IPL will be the exact same thing. The, mo the model doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and, and international cricket doesn't really make any sense. It was not invented for 2023. Uh, it was invented, uh, I don't know how much you know about the history, but it was invented for a bunch of cricketers um, to basically um, come together uh, and go and tour a place and make a whole shit ton of money in their winter, right? Because they weren't going to make money. So international cricket comes from, you know, a bunch of English professional players all getting together and going, well, are we just going to have to go back and get normal jobs for the next six months? What if we go to Australia and play and then they'll pay us um, and then we can be, and then we can make more money off, off, off our actual main skills. Right now that's franchise cricket. So that's the big change there. And, and that's where it's gone. Uh, you know, I'm a big basketball fan and, uh, basketball is a really weird sport because obviously America dominated it to such a comical, um, uh, you know, level, but we just saw the Euro basket be played, um, in Europe, which is, I don't know, maybe the, it's not the Olympics. And it's not the it's not the uh, FIBA World Cup, right? So it's it's like at best the third best um, uh, team based tournament in the world. Luca played, Giannis played, Joker played. Looked pretty good to me. They all seem to care. They all seem to prepare and train for it. If that's still happening in basketball, uh, that means that there uh, of all the sports, um, doesn't that suggest that people will still always want to play for their nation? Um, but at the moment, the problem is that there is no structure that allows you to really play for your nation, you know, in a block of, of time uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't go up against anything else outside of the World Cups. Right. And that's the problem that no one's in charge of cricket. And so that all the, the they had in the last 10 years, there have been three different major inflection points. The first one was that there was almost a rebel league where all the players were bought. Right. And that would have been a T20 one day and test match Rebel League. ZTV would have paid for it. You know, Lalit was involved. 
you know, good times, right? That didn't happen, fell apart because it was, you know, it wasn't particularly well-structured. The second one was that we could have had a proper one-day and test league, which would have allowed for um, promotion and relegation, which would have allowed for more test teams um, to come in, which would have, uh, as already um, shown, what it can do for Ireland, Scotland, ne- well, actually, sorry, not Scotland, uh, Ireland and the Netherlands, um, them playing more cricket, them, them growing and getting a lot better. If you'd done that um, and you'd sold it as a package and you'd sold the TV rights and all the players were paid out of one central pot and you have Division One, Division Two, maybe Division Three, maybe Division Four, uh, suddenly international cricket is being run a little bit more like a league, right? And, you know, and, and uh, the players don't have to worry about their board having money because the league has money, right? That was, that was position two. And position three was um, when, when essentially when the IPL owners realized, well, wait a minute, if we just buy controlling stake in all these leagues, we're going to have more power than any cricket board on earth, um, including the BCCI going forward. We can pay these players more. We can look after them 12 months of the year. Um, and uh, by that stage, there was no one in international cricket to do anything. You know, <laughs> they'd, had their, they'd had many, many chances of, of changing it, of developing it, of working with the IPL, um, of having their own uh, franchise version of the IPL before the IPL. They didn't do anything. And so uh, we end up uh, where we are now. Um, but it also gives, you know, it also allows for, you know, Cricketers from Nepal and Papua New Guinea and Brazil and Thailand and, you know, all these newer places that, you know, uh, have been kept out of the game. If you're the best cricketer in the world now and you're born in Fiji, chances are you're going to end up making a lot of money from the sport. Whereas we know that there was a a, a guy called um, Siva who played for Fiji in the 1940s who was absolutely fantastic and he played a handful of first-class games in New Zealand, smashed them everywhere. and that that was the the top level he could play was you know a couple of first class games for Fiji. If that was the case now, um, and he was as good as we think he was, at the very least he's you know he's going to play in one of those crappy Dubai tournaments that we all make fun of, right? Do you know what I mean? He's going to go somewhere and he's going to be professional, and then maybe other Fijians could have become professional. Um, so uh, I, I think from that perspective, um, it, you know it's it's a mess. I'm not going to lie. No one's in charge. The people who are in charge are not looking at the right things. Uh, there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, polishing the silverware as the Titanic sinks going on in, in cricket at the moment. A lot of people looking after their own personal fiefdoms, unaware that it, everything they're going to do doesn't matter anymore. Um, uh, and and, and that, is, that is definitely the case. But the other side of it is that um, by opening up capitalism to sport, it does allow for, you know, a great cricketer from Mexico to exist now and, and go on and play. Whereas before a great cricketer from Mexico ends up in a, in a, in a, in a book about Mexican cricket that no one reads because no one cares about Mexican cricket. And, and finally to wrap up on that topic uh, before we move ahead, your thoughts on <clears throat> how the ICC had, ICC has prepared, prepared its calendar now uh, around its eight year cycle where we have a ICC white ball tournament every year. <clears throat> sandwich between the World Test Championship fin- uh, finals. Obviously, the World Test Championship is, is a is a good initiative that they have taken. A initiative that was long due. Um, something sort of a carrot for the you know, test players to look forward to and win that silverware, but not necessarily end up being the best test team in the world. You know, like New Zealand won the WTC 
they're not the best test team in the world, to be honest, uh, as we speak. Um, and basically, they're organizing white ball tournaments every year now and making these World Cups lose their charm. When we were growing up as kids, we used to wait for the one-day World Cup to arrive once every four years and look forward to that. And the teams that won this World Cup had that opportunity to savor that victory for a longer period of time. And also, they had to prove their worth in that uh, interluding period between World Cups that they are indeed worthy of that crown. And, uh, you know, uh, Did they? I mean, they tried they? their best, I, I guess. No, but I, I think I kind of understand what you're saying to a certain level, but I'm not sure that I think... That's wrong, right? Like, I don't think it mattered at all what they did between the four years. I think if, if you're really being honest, that's probably one of the big problems with football, right? You kind of care at Euros and you kind of care at the World Cup and the rest of the time you don't care about national um, uh, national team at all. Not sh- I mean, if, if put it this way, if, if they really cared, then Australia would have absolutely dominated, dominated one-day cricket from 1999 to 2007. It was actually South Africa probably dominated that period if you look at bilateral games, right? Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. Look, it's, it, it's a really interesting thing because people say, oh, it used to be more special because it was once every four years. Um, and I understand that basic principle, but before it was once every four years, it didn't exist at all. You know, things are going to change. We have so many different formats. Um, you still can win a one-day World Cup once every four years. T20 is a bit different, and they're going to have to do something with that. My guess is that we will have one World Cup every four years and then one uh, Olympics every uh, um, uh, four years, and that will be how T20 will probably pan out going ahead, which will which will fix some of that um, stuff. Uh, we also didn't have a T20 World Cup for five years right so you know there have been there have been large gaps between it there's no doubt that the icc packed the calendar as much as possible because that gave them more money and more political heft by doing so and it's an over a correction to a problem uh, that they can't fix anyway the icc is never going to be powerful enough um as especially now the way that cricket is run uh, to ever be fully in charge um and they've never been in charge so look, I, I do understand what you're saying from that point of view I don't know if, if I was, I want to put, this is where I want you to go back and think about this. If you're a 12 year old kid, right. And you were watching it and England and you're an England fan and they won the world cup. Would you be thinking, Oh, this would be so much more special if we hadn't played a world cup a year before. Or do you think they're going, this is the absolute greatest thing ever. I've just watched England want to win a world cup. And, and I think from that perspective, uh, you know, no one ever says, you know, the, the NBA would be so much better. Uh, or the Premier League would be so much better if, if they only played the major tournaments once every four years. Um, the reason that the Olympics is every four years is because it, you know, it takes a long time for the Olympic Committee to milk a city um, and absolutely, you know, uh, ruin itself uh, <laughs> to, to host an Olympics, right? And because in the old days, we went on everywhere on boats. That's why we have the four-year gap, right? Like if, you, if, if the Olympics could work out how to have an Olympics every year, they would have an Olympics every year. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm not too worried about that. Where, where I would be more interested in is you have a situation where clearly international cricket is changing um, and you've got the ICC basically wedging a tournament in every, every you know, October, um, you know, calendar. As you said, it's, you know, it's getting a bit ridiculous that every year is a major year in cricket from that point of view. Um, when realistically the bigger problem is that for all that the international tournaments are not the problem 
they're going to make a lot of money and they always will. The bigger problem is the bilateral side of cricket and the ICC um, can't get into it and the cricket boards don't want to let them into it. And so international cricket at the bilateral level will die, will fizzle, will be less important, uh, will be played less often. Um, and that is because the, 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 the boards themselves were greedy and power hungry and stupid. That's a far bigger issue than how many World Cups we have, I think. That, that's a really, really key issue, it, it, especially if you believe that, you know, international cricket is the pinnacle. And because of the people who um, are doing all these deals, it won't be the pinnacle in the future outside of World Cups. They'll be the only things left that will be the pinnacle um, and perhaps – you know, maybe India, Australia, India, England, and, uh, you know, England, um, India test series. Those are the only things that will be the pinnacle. Everything else will be, um, will not be that case. And the IPL will be, you know, the third pinnacle um, of those things. And um, they've had plenty of chances to fix it. And, uh, you know, they were either too incompetent, too corrupt, too stupid to do so. Thanks for your input on that. I feel like I took the air out of you guys there. It's like I... I actually feel you both. I like this podcast. I feel like I've actually ruined your worldview. <laughs> oh no, not exactly. Uh, that's why we had you here to present your frank and you know uh, unfiltered views. To, to ruin your childhood. <laughs> you brought me here to ruin your childhood. <laughs> Music was not better when you were fifteen. It was just you were fifteen and you only just discovered music. <laughs> Um, and, and and like you mentioned that, you know, the future of the bilateral cricket will also be on the line. And most of the survival of these smaller boats out of the big three depends on when these sides are touring their respective nations. You know, everybody wants, say, India to tour their country because of the money involved in the, in those uh, series with the broadcasting rights and stuff like that. Um, so those are the cash cows for them apart from their local T20 leagues um, and uh, um, like you mentioned it's going to be the biggest challenge to to have that bilateral cricket remain relevant in that regard you know uh, apart from those big ticket series uh, that we see I, I 100% agree with you that there's going to be very few eyeballs uh, for the rest of the series which the other nations are going to play uh, unfortunately um and, and to wrap yeah it- I mean the, the, the only thing I would add to that is that we talk about that a lot um, and we go, oh, everyone needs to play India in order to be rich, right? Then there's something wrong with, with, that, with that idea, right? Which is that's if they want to be as rich um, as possible. That may not be the best system for them to have. Um, and even if they do the, that and they play India once every four years and that allows them to have, I don't know, 30% more money than they would have made. Are they using that money efficiently anyway? Are they making, you know, are they getting the best out of it? Um, you know, play, playing India, what does it, what, how does that impact, impact your cricket? You know, uh, are you actually doing something that is sustaining the growth of the game in your country over and over again? And is that something you could do on 30% less income? Right. Right. And no one ever asks those sorts of questions. Um, and it's, I, I think that's the really, really interesting thing of, um, why are they trying to get more money? Well, so they can have more, you know, New Zealand's trying to get more money so they can have more money than South Africa. Um, South Africa is trying to get more money so they can have more money than Pakistan. Pakistan's trying to get more money so they have more money than Bangladesh. These are all absolutely understandable ways that people think about things. But 
New Zealand just completely restructured their cricket and got to the top of the game in, you know, well, one format and uh, were second in two other formats um, without really that much money, without really relying on a strong relationship with India um, by being smarter than everyone else, right? And why are cricket, why is cricket South Africa not trying to be smarter than everyone else rather than going, oh, we, we can't play India now, so we're bankrupt. Well, if you're bankrupt when you're not playing India and you can never guarantee playing India, right, then everything you are doing is wrong. And, and I think that's the situation that a lot of teams got to. And then the, the other thing I would say is, is how much better is South African cricket if it has $400 million coming in a year compared to $320 million a year, right? And at the moment, the way that South African cricket is, is um, making money, and unless it was making $2 billion a year, I'm not sure how it would ever be um, more successful than it is now. Like the amount of money that they need doesn't make any sense. Their problem isn't just that they don't have any money. They have uh, South African cricket has a lot more money than other South African sports, right? And and I don't think we ever factor those sorts of things in. Do you, you know, I hear you know those sorts of things all the time, and I think, what does like rugby league in England think when it hears um, you know uh, or uh, you know about the other sports? It's like. Look at how much money cricket makes in England compared to rugby league, right, and these other sports. They are making do with the money that they have available to them. And in cricket, there's this weird system of we need more, 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 but we're not going to tell you what we're going to do with it, and it probably won't actually get spent correctly anyway. Um, but if we don't play India, we're going to go bankrupt. Well, then you are not very good at running an organization, and you should leave. Totally agree with that. You know, should not be depending upon only one um, even to happen to sustain yourself and promote the game in your country. Uh, yeah. 100%. And they let, and that, this is not, the thing is that this is not what cricket was like in the 90s. You didn't need India to come in the 90s in order to be successful. So now that there is more money in India, you have allowed yourself to think that India is the only way to make money. And because of that, you have not made any money and you have not grown as a cricket nation. Um, and And then something goes wrong, you have to kowtow to India um, or you have to, uh, you know, try and get, a, you know, I mean, look at Cricket South Africa have basically gone from taking money from the BCCI to taking money from IPL owners, right? Their only answer is India. Well, that means that cricket in South Africa is now completely dependent on another country that, and I'm, I'm not, I'm, doesn't give a shit about them. Like, and I don't mean that in a bad way as if they don't give a shit. Of course, the BCCI, the BCCI and the IPL, that's not their job. The IPL is just going to take the resources out of the country. And, and you know, the only reason that, that Cricket South Africa matters to the BCCI is that, you know, they still make quite a lot of money from international cricket. And, you know, they still want the teams to occasionally come. They want to keep everyone happy enough that they keep coming. I mean, the big lie of, of, of cricket is this whole IPL is everything and international cricket's nothing. You've seen how much money India make from international rights. Have you seen how much money that the World Cup makes? It's an absolute ton of money from international cricket. Now, it may not be as much as franchise cricket, still making money. Um, and so these things still matter. But, you know, South Africa had got themselves to a position where India is the only answer. Um, and because of that, you know, they, they've probably stuck themselves a little bit. And maybe it works. Maybe all these private owners come in, they start their own academies and, you know, things start to develop. And, you know, I, I was talking to someone the other day of, 
you know, why not have a, why not have a um, SA20 franchise in Soweto? Like if you're the Adani family, right? And literally every second article about you is about how evil you are and, uh, you know, how you're ruining the environment and, you know, all those sorts of things. It's so like, great. Well, we now own the Soweto um, miners or nuggets. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't quite, uh, we haven't quite worked out on that name yet. Um, we own the Soweto miners. And we pump millions and millions of dollars into Soweto every year, and we are actually making change within South Africa now, um, you know, as uh, uh, through through corporate means. And also, we're taking the best young South African cricketers out of Soweto um, and playing them in our IPL team or whatever other um, team we own going into the future. Um, that's great, uh, but again, the South African Cricket um, Association is still going to work. Cricket South Africa is still going to be around right? What are they going to do? How are they using their money? How are they using the money from the owners? How are they using the money from when they play India? Are they being used correctly? And I can tell you this, it's an absolute shit show over there. Um, and they're not the only major cricket board in the world you could say that about. Yeah, totally agreed. Uh, there's lot to, lots to do for all the rest of the boards, you know, uh, to improve the overall health of the game in that regard. Uh, um, I think we have reached the top of the hour with that. Uh, Ravi, you have anything else to uh, ask or share with Jared? Uh, uh, if not, then no. we'll call it a day as far as this episode uh, of the Third Man Cricket Podcast is concerned. Uh, you would like to express... Ravi's afraid <laughs> he's going to say something. And I'm, I'm so glad there's a conversation and hopefully there's a day in Australia where yeah. I just get to meet you. So, so glad, Jared. Thanks a lot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and absolutely, we are we are all we are we are greenhorn podcasters, you know. And it's just been a couple of years since we have jumped onto this bandwagon and try to you know um, share our opinions and views about the game. And the main thing of having you on the show was the kind of uh, expertise and uh, views that you bring. And we also get to learn through through your lens uh, about this wonderful game that we um, love, you know. Um, and the reason why we named our podcast the Third Man Podcast, you know, uh, Ravi has just moved to Canada like a couple of years ago. Before that, he was based in India, like I was also before I moved to Canada back in 2016. So when I was in Canada and he was in India, we considered India to be like the center of the cricketing pitch. And Canada is, you know, you see the world map is in the third man position. So that's why we called ourselves the Third Man Podcast uh, from that regard. Uh, um, but um, thank you, Jared, for your time uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, giving us uh, your time and sharing your thoughts on this game. Uh, and we look forward to uh, share much, much more uh, you know, thoughts about the game with you and would love to have you again on our, on our podcast on a, on a different <clears throat> topic uh, going thank forward. You so so much, thank Jared. you. Thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and keep catering to the uh, cricketing audience around the world like you have been doing. Uh, you're truly an inspiration for um, all of us uh, in that aspect. Beautiful. Well, thanks for having me on, guys, and I'll see you next time. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.